Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today, we have for you the season finale of Bootability Season 1, and we're so excited to share some big updates about the show. First, for those who've been listening for a while, you know that we've just passed the three-year anniversary of launching Bootability, and with it, a huge milestone, surpassing 1 million podcast downloads and well over 100 episodes. Thank you for your support and dedication to sharing the show all this time. Second, the big news. I'll be leaving the show as host, and we're welcoming a brand new host who you'll get to meet today. Her name is Cassidy Bradford, and today's episode is a chance to hear a little bit about her story before we go on a fall break and Cassidy launches season two later this fall. Spending every week with all of you and our amazing guests who've shared their stories with so much wisdom, kindness, and vulnerability has been an incredible honor and one of the most fulfilling experiences of my life. Look forward to even more inspiring stories in season two. Now, here's Cassidy. Um, I'm calling in from New York. I'm originally from Chicago, but uh, just moved to New York City, and I am 30 years old. Awesome. So we gave away the spoiler in the intro already, but you are the new host of Foodability, <laughs> which is incredibly exciting, and we're going to talk all about that uh, so we can bring kind of listeners up to speed on What's next for the podcast season two? Season one has been three years long, <laughs> but um, why don't we start today just to get to know you a little bit and then we can talk about podcast stuff. Can you tell me the brief story of how you encountered Buddhism and why did you start chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo? First of all, I'm so excited to be here. This is really kind of surreal, especially after hearing your voice for so many episodes to be <laughs> talking to you on here is great. So I grew up with a parent who chants Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. She started in college. And so I grew up around SGI Nichiren Buddhism and with, you know, this Buddhability community. But I never like really started chanting on my own until I was about 20 years old, 19. At that age, I was in a really toxic relationship, and I didn't really see it for what it was at the time. But the kind of nature of that relationship resulted in a really devastating breakup that was really like painful. And um, I wasn't quite sure what to do. Honestly, I just felt like so much despair. And, you know, my mom who practices said, all right, let's really dig deep here. You know, this is a great opportunity for you. So um, actually, the day after the breakup, I met up with a Buddhist friend to kind of share like, this is everything that's going on. And I was like, crying so much. And one of them said, oh, congratulations. This is amazing. This is a great opportunity for you to really start your practice and, you know, start on this path of doing your human revolution. And I was kind of like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, I'm in so much pain. But, you know, as we continued to talk, she really shared that this was an opportunity for me to really learn how to value my life. Because as we talked about the relationship, it really 
became very obvious that what was happening was because I was devaluing myself, I was, yeah, I guess like engaging in this relationship in a way that was causing a lot of problems for him, for me. I often put others before myself. So that was really happening. And I was like, you know, I have nothing else to do. Like, what else am I going to do in this situation? So I really took what they said to heart and I tried chanting myself. And so from that moment until I left for college, I was chanting every single day and chanting for this person's happiness, and which was kind of like bizarre at the time. But, you know, I just thought I really want him to be happy so that I can also be like safe and happy. And as time went on, like I started to feel so much lighter and now looking like, you know, this was 10 years ago, even though it was such a painful time, I have so much appreciation for him actually, because he was really the reason that I kind of woke up to the value of my life and started practicing. Wow. What a real experience. (laughs) This is a theme that we've definitely covered on the podcast, but I feel like still I love hearing it because for each and every person, it's such a unique and deeply personal kind of like in retrospect, you know, it's easy to say I wasn't valuing my life, but like to actually absorb somebody telling you that in real time when you're suffering is so hard. (laughs) Very Um, hard. Yeah. Yeah. One follow up to that, you know, you mentioned that like that sort of was the catalyst to you beginning the process of doing your own human revolution, which for those who've been listening for a long time, know that human revolution is essentially another way of saying inner transformation based on Buddhist practice or like uncovering and manifesting your own bootability. But I don't know, it's it's loaded. So if you don't mind sharing just a little bit more, like what that actually looked like, like when you started chanting, did you feel different? How did you even know what you needed to change about you? You know what I mean? Totally. You know, I had heard this term human revolution so much in like the early years of my practice. And I was kind of like, okay, that just means like changing or growing. But when you're in the thick of it, like it's really hard to see, like, am I growing? Oftentimes it's only after, you know, a couple of years looking back, you can reflect and realize, wow, I've really like shifted a lot in my life. But I think from that period, the following like five or so years, I had been in lots of different relationships. And through each one, there was like new kinds of challenges that were happening. But the difference was every time something would come out in the relationship, I would chant about it. Why am I like clinging to this person? Why do I feel so devastated when they don't like me back? Why do I feel this way, right? Like this really, I think, deep kind of seeking spirit when I'm chanting, really trying to like uncover because I think we make it sound or it can sound really easy or even like lofty, right? Oh, we just transform. But it's quite difficult to be able to like really unearth this stuff deep in your life that's causing you suffering, right? So as each of these relationships progressed, they were almost like milestones for myself. You know, each new relationship, I was like, wow, you know what? This person wanted to break up with me and I was only sad for like a week. And then I got over it. (laughs) So different. Right. And actually, you know, before I met my my current partner, 
I had ended like a two month dating relationship. But right before we broke up, I remember chanting, you know, if this isn't the right person, that's fine. You know, I just want to see it clearly. And when we ended things, I cried on the train home for like 30 minutes. And then I was fine after that. I realized Mm. like, oh, you know, my worth really doesn't depend on someone else. But it took many years of like this constant battle, each relationship bringing out and uncovering new things that I needed to transform about myself, which I think primarily is really looking externally to see like what whether I have value or not, you know, and I think over time I developed this confidence that my life is valuable no matter what. Um, And then, of course, like after that kind of breakthrough, I met my partner who's, you know, now my fiance. I think that all of those relationships were ultimately just mirrors for myself, for me to see, Mm -hmm. like, what can I transform to become happier? First, thank you so much for for sharing um, that journey, because it is I think many people will find it relatable. I was remembering kind of past experiences I've had as you were sharing, but it's actually kind of an interesting and refreshing way to think about what it means to find your partner. Because I've spoken to so many people about relationships and we all kind of have this journey of like, when will I meet the partner that I want to have? If that is something that you want, you know, like a long-term life partner. And so much of the journey is described as like, how do you say, like you go through person after person assessing them. Like, is this the person do they check like the things on my list that I want? Okay, they're not the right fit, next person. But to actually look at the journey in terms of yourself, like how am I reacting? How swayed am I? Am I like overly, you know, like you're describing, putting my worth in this person accepting me or whatever, you know, and then you change over time? It's such a refreshing way to think about it. So I really like that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I mean, I think... We always hear, I think, in just broader society, oh, you need to love yourself before anyone else can love you or kind of phrases like that. But we can hear that and go, yeah, okay, but how do I love myself? (laughs) You know, and I think that's Mm -hmm. where this practice comes in. This is the tool that we really learn to see the value of our life and really believe in it. Um, I I truly believe that if I had not been practicing through this time, my life would be so different. The relationships that I have would be vastly different. So I just have so much appreciation for myself that I was courageous Mm -hmm. enough to really start chanting. Oh, amazing. What an amazing way to put it too. So (laughs) on that note, so we won't get, you know, deep into your life story because we have (laughs) other things that we will discuss today, but people will certainly get to know you over time. I always love to ask people on every episode if they have a favorite Buddhist concept or quote or something they've held on to. So for you personally, is there something that you've taken from your practice that you've learned that is your favorite? Such a difficult question because at each phase (laughs) of my life, each thing going on, there's a new kind of like concept 
phrase that really like strikes me. But one that I think very early on in my practice resonated was winter always turns to spring, which I know many guests have shared before. So there's one particular aspect, though, that really, really helped me push through the most difficult times, especially in my early 20s. This quote is from Daisaku Ikeda, who's my mentor. He writes in this book called The Hope-Filled Teachings of Nichiren Daishonin about this the cherry trees, the cherry blossoms, their buds form in the summer, and then they go through this period of dormancy in the autumn, and then they need the chill of winter to be able to have their buds develop and blossom. He talks about like why the winter is so important for us. So I'm going to share that quote. He says, if, however, in the midst of life's winters, we refrain from the struggle of progressing in faith, if we doubt the power of faith and slacken in our Buddhist practice, we will end up with incomplete results at best. Even for cherry trees, it is said, if the period of winter chill required for breaking dormancy dormancy is insufficient, the flowering of the buds will be delayed and the blossoms will be irregular. The key to victory in our lives lies in how hard we struggle when we are in winter, how wisely we use that time, and how meaningfully we live each day confident that spring will definitely come. And so I always like really held that because I thought, oh my God, why am I in this like suffering of winter, right? But as things were really painful, I told myself, okay, this is the time to like really be able to um, like forge myself. And that helped me push through like, wow, okay, if I'm having this like really horrible Chicago winter, that means the (laughs) blossoms in my spring are going to be just like so beautiful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to share. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. I, I love that. And it's funny. I've heard the, the, or read the latter part of that quote, but the context about the cherry blossoms in winter, I, it went over my head or I missed it. So yeah, it's, it's such a wonderful kind of visual metaphor. So thank you so much Mm -hmm. for sharing. So, okay. So you mentioned Chicago, which I feel like is a great transition to where you came from. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Um, So I just briefly wanted to ask kind of, you know, how you came to storytelling and interviewing such that you are now, you know, doing the podcast. I know that you relocated to New York from Chicago. um, But yeah, if you could just share sort of briefly what your background is and how you came to storytelling and interviewing, that would be amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been really interested in people's stories from a super young age. Even like my mom listened to NPR all the time in the in the car. So I listened to This American Life and I really love getting to know different people from different walks of life, whether that's like interpersonally in a conversation or seeing their story on screen, listening to it in a podcast. So then that kind of interest and passion has followed me throughout my life. In undergrad, I did a podcast. And even in more current career, I was a researcher and did qualitative, which means just like interviewing, talking to people and translating those interviews to other kind of work. So in everything that I pursued, that kind of um, interest has been there. But now I feel like, oh, my God, this is like the dream opportunity for me to really be able to, yeah, bring that dream to life and talking to so many amazing people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel you 100%. It's yeah, just getting to talk to people all the time, you know, new people. It's just such an enriching experience. And I wish we 
we did that more even outside of our careers. And again, like that's something that you do in Buddhist meetings. You make friends with people you would never ordinarily meet in any other context, which is just, yeah, such a treasure. So very excited for you. So why don't we move to sort of reflecting on Buddhability's first season and kind of what is next. I mentioned in the intro that this is sort of a huge milestone for us because we surpassed a million downloads, which First and foremost, thank you so much to all the listeners who've dedicatedly been listening and sharing with friends. So it's just been an amazing journey since we launched in October 2020, but it's now October 2023. So time for a new season and time for some change. I've relocated to the West Coast. So I'm now in San Francisco and no longer New York. And it's time for a new era for bootability. I would love to hear a little bit about kind of like what you're thinking about as the new host and what's kind of like, what's on your mind? What are you most excited for? What's been your relationship with the podcast? Well, I started listening right at the beginning because I love podcasts. So I was like, bootability, <laughs> what is this? I'm totally on board. And I think like what I've really loved about bootability is just like the diversity of guests. And I think you just kind of mentioned it, that it's such a reflection of our Buddhist community that there's people from all over the U.S. and all over the world that come from every single walk of life you could imagine. And I think hearing those stories is so, um, so empowering. It really humanizes others as well, which I think is really significant. I think another thing that I've really loved about the podcast is just the sort of dialogic nature in these conversations, we're creating meaning together, which I think is really significant. And even like listeners are also engaged in this dialogue with us, because as you're listening, you're reflecting on your own life, you're reflecting on people in your life, friends, family, coworkers. Um, and I think that is really for me kind of like at the heart of this like how do we really create meaning together and get encouraged so that we can really stand up in our own life yeah 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 that's actually such a great point too because um for those who are nerdy about buddhist history and like love to read you know the the lotus sutra and many of Nichiren Daishonin's most important letters are like dialogues, essentially, just like the kind of understanding one can gain through back and forth conversation, whether you're reading it or participating in it is unparalleled, I think. I feel like I, I learned through, you know, every single conversation and even most of like Ikeda's books that are on subject matter about, you know, world peace or Buddhist philosophy applied to different fields are just dialogues with leaders in those fields. Like they're not, mm -hmm. you know, lectures and analysis, like just from him, but like really interesting yeah. conversations. So anyway, yeah, thanks for, for flagging that. And thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. I also, I want to kind of, if it's okay, I want to kind of turn it on you and hear a little <laughs> bit like what your kind of key takeaways have been after three years of doing interviews with all of these people who practice Buddhism. You know, it's so funny, like, and I, I imagine you might end up having a similar experience. But when you speak with people week after week, you know, they sort of become like part of the fabric of your life. And so mm. I would find in so many different moments, like 
little bits and pieces of conversation emerging as I'm going about my daily life. And I'm like, oh, this is like when, you know, that person shared that they had that really hard conversation with their friend or their family member. Mm. And like, I'm inspired by other people's examples. Yeah, but, um, wow. um, you know, I think the biggest, biggest one I would say is even though I was also born into the practice and, you know, grew up around the Buddhist community and have been practicing for a while personally, we all have sort of like limitations that we place on what works or doesn't work or like when Buddhism will work and when it won't, you know, when chanting, at least maybe other people are more pure than I am, but I definitely <laughs> had limitations <laughs> in my mind. I do that too. I was I do like, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're human. And so I think like all of that has just been demolished by having all of these mm. conversations because I used to think like, oh, there's certain experiences or like certain life problems that are harder than others or take longer than others if you're going to chant about it. And then mm -hmm. even, you know, toward myself, I would have areas of my life that I would be chanting about and be like, can I change this? No, mm -hmm. like this, this thing won't change. After talking to so many people, I think I am like so deeply convinced now that Buddhism works literally for everybody in any circumstance, period. Like mm -hmm. you can chant about literally anything and you can change it. And you don't have to be like super self-aware and spiritual. You could be like really intellectual about things. You could be just, I'm just going to chant and not think too much. Like it doesn't matter what your personality is, but it's like really a universal practice. So I would say, yeah, probably my biggest takeaway is like just to, to set aside whatever intellectualization you might be inclined to do about Buddhism and just like relax and chant <laughs> like it will work you will come to realizations you will know what action to take and then when in doubt reach out to somebody because that's like the beauty of not practicing alone the practices I have in my life that I do alone I don't sustain them you know they're so up and down but this practice yeah. I'm consistent about because I have a community and it's just that simple <laughs> Well, there will be many, many more stories just like that. And I know that we'll have a little break between this, the end of this season or the season finale airing and then when the new episodes will start. So we'll definitely keep everyone posted about that info. But I was thinking that we can sort of wrap up today by uh, asking or rather both of us answering, which is if you could share one piece of advice for anyone who's been listening for a while but might be new to Buddhism what one piece of advice would you share? And then um, maybe this time I'll, I'll also add my own. I think what I would share um, is for anyone listening that hasn't started chanting yet, um, just ask yourself, like, what kind of life do I want to have? What kind of life do I want to live? And really think about like, what kind of underneath are you really yearning for in your life? And so you can honor that voice when you chant Nam Myoho Denge Kyo. And sometimes that voice might be really quiet. So you can chant to like make it louder, you know, be able to really hear like, oh, this is my dream. This is the kind of way I want to be happy because we can all have the kind of life that we want to live. We just have to be courageous enough to say like, okay, I'm just going to try this. I'm going to try it for two weeks and chant every day. But I think that kind of question for yourself might help push you to like, just take the leap and try it. 
I actually feel like that ties so beautifully to what you said earlier about appreciating yourself for having the courage to chant. It struck me that, you know, like we always define bootability, of course, on the show, which is your own courage, your own wisdom, your own compassion. But like to even have the desire to tap into your courage or wisdom or compassion, you have to like have sort of a opening, like a dialogue with yourself going. And so that what you described is that like maybe it's a quiet little voice. Like it's such a beautiful way to think about where you can start if if you're completely new and you're like courage. Like, I don't even know what I want in life. (laughs) So I love that. If I could share one piece of advice to anybody who's new, you know, I think, and this is sort of like connected to what I feel like I've taken away from the show and my own personal practice, but really, really the show is, um, there's always something you can do. Like, 100% of the time, there's something more you can do about what is happening in your life. There's no such thing as a dead end. Um, And what's so wonderful about Buddhism is that you don't have to think too much about what that next thing is. Like, because in the practice, we have multiple components. It's not just chanting alone. It's not just studying Buddhism. It's not just talking to people and participating in the community. Um, But it's, all of them. And so I personally, you know, have sort of developed a habit over the years of having this little list in my head of anytime I'm feeling very stuck or kind of just confused or what should I do? I'll just be like, have I been chanting? Okay. Have I been studying next? Should I reach out to somebody? And like pretty much 99% of the time, one of those things I needed to do a little bit more of, and that's the way out. So Um, and then that opens up the step that you could take in your personal life of like, then what action can you take or what more can you do to transform the situation or get closer to your goal or whatever it is. So yeah, that's what I would say. There's always something more you can do. Wow. Oh my gosh. I love that. Especially what struck me is when you said there's no such thing as a dead end. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can really feel that way. But you're so right. You're so right. And especially like as we chant, it becomes easier to see, oh, there's actually not a dead end. You know, there's this other thing that I can do. And sometimes that's the one thing that can totally flip it around, you know. So, wow, that was amazing. I really, really loved that. Thank you. Yeah, well, um, we should wrap for today. But I, again, just want to reiterate A huge welcome to you, Cassidy, and a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening for so long and just really like Bootability was already a community in person, but I feel like it's become this even bigger community online. And for everyone who's been listening and shared, you know, your reactions, your thoughts, your questions. So just a huge thank you to all of our listeners as well. And um, yeah, we'll be back I guess soon with you and new updates yes I also want to say thank you to you Jihi we're definitely going to have some new interviews coming up so uh, that will be the the new adventure so I hope you guys are excited and uh, stay tuned because it's going to be coming right around the corner I want to leave you today with a final quote from Ikeda, which is about one of my favorite Buddhist concepts, always focusing on the present and the future, always looking forward. 
As we close one chapter and begin another, I hope each of us can find some small spark in our personal life and environment that inspires us to dig deeper into ourselves and create a future we're excited about. Ikeda writes, everything starts with you. You must forge yourself through your own efforts. I urge each of you to create something, start something, and make a success of something. That is the essence of human existence, the challenge of youth. Herein lies a wonderful way of life, always aiming for the future. As always, we are so grateful for your support, love to hear from you, and want to help anyone who hasn't yet connected to their local Buddhist community to do so. So please email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. I'm so excited to listen to season two alongside all of you and so grateful to Cassidy for taking us through a new world of Buddhability stories we can all learn from. Mm-hmm.